0: In this series, we began with some foundational truths upon which the church is built. We started this series talking about the Word of God as the foundation for everything we believe and everything we do, and and it's got to pass that test. Though it doesn't describe every detail that will happen in the church, it certainly gives us the foundational principles that we need, including what we talked about in week two, the reality that sin is what separates us from God. And that by accepting Jesus' death on the cross, that's that's the means by which God offers to save the world. Then in the next couple of messages, we talked about um, some biblical concepts that have a unique application here at Troy Christian Church. The first, Drew talked to us about membership and how that's a way we can live out the one another's of Scripture and how we can... um, join forces with other believers to accomplish God's mission in the world and we talked about that last week right Jesus's commission has told us that we as a church are called to make disciples who make disciples to go into the world and and connect people to Jesus but not just that but to grow them and grow them to the point where they would introduce other people to Jesus We're, we'll talk a, quite a bit about this um, on our vision Sunday coming up December 1st I'm just break this down it's not altogether so complicated to understand it's just take some purposefulness in our life that we will talk about now in the final two messages of this series we're going to look at three specific practices of the church okay the topics of which um these are what we receive most of our questions about historically with relationship to the church because there are things that we do that not every church does or we do it in a certain way that not every church does and has to do with our church leadership and with the practice of communion and with the way that we practice baptism so today we're going to cover the first two church leadership and communion Now again, I hope you caught from the very beginning, I say it often just because I think it's so important, the value and the priority of the Bible as God's word. These last couple messages will have quite a bit of scripture in them, and so I've listed them all in the bulletin for you. I'm going to put them all up on the screen for you because I want you to be able to just be with me in the moment and concentrate. You're welcome to look them up. We might just go fast enough that that might be hard for some of you periodically, but that's why I've given them for you. Okay. Now, I would just tell you with regard to these three areas that I'm going to share these messages with conviction okay? because I think this is what the Scripture tells us but also in a humility that says, if you go back to message number three, remember when we said, when we looked at the history of the church, like that we're, we're not the only Christians, okay? We just want to be Christians only. And so also that, that part where we talked about where the Bible speaks, we speak, okay, so that's what we're going to talk about with that regard today. So that said, let's talk about leadership in the church, okay? Now the Bible is very clear on this as a starting point. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay? Sometimes people will think as the, of the minister as the head of the church because he's like the public face who's always doing all the talking. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes people will think that the elders are the head of the church because they make most of the mo- major decisions that we as a church um, that move us forward But there's a clear statement in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning verse 22 that clarifies this. It says God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So in the end, And in the beginning, and hopefully at all the points in between, we understand that this is Jesus' church. And we are all, no matter what role we play, we are just servants of His. The church was Jesus' idea. He's the one who bought each one of us. For those who receive it, He paid off our sin debt so that we could be free from sin so that we could live forever. And as Paul calls us, we are all simply trophies of his grace. (laughs) Like this is what it looks like when God comes into a life and changes it. That said, the church has given instructions about its human leadership in Scripture, where it says that God has called elders to lead the church. Now, remember back in May when we were studying the book of Titus, We opened up to Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and we read these words. Paul, to his disciple, or his apprentice, Timothy, the pastor, he writes, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So under God's direction, elders were put in leadership over each congregation to carry out God's directives in the local church. So we understand that Troy Christian Church is an elder-led church. Our elders provide oversight spiritually. They provide direction. They provide vision. They provide guidance for the church. Um, They seek God's direction in their own lives personally and for us as a church. They seek Him individually. And they seek Him as a group because they are called to lead us spiritually now functionally they serve the church as shepherds as overseers as examples if you look in first peter chapter five those first four verses we read these words to the elders among you i appear i appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed he says there in verse two be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, he says, that will never fade away. Now that's a lot of responsibility. That God has placed on these men. And the reason why they have to be so intimately connected with Jesus, the head of the church if they are to lead us well. If not, the result might be disastrous. Okay? It's, a, it's important that you choose well who you follow. Um, Stuart Briscoe writes about a friend of his who is a pastor in ministry and, and this person who was a military servant in our country died, and his friends wanted to be part of his service, his friends that were also in military service, and so they asked the pastor if he would go up with them during the service and stand in front of the casket for a few minutes so they might pay their respects and then lead them out. So that's what they did. They were in the service, and the pastor led them up front, and they stood in front of the casket, and then they in precision, turned and marched away. The only problem was he, they wanted him to lead them out of the chapel. But instead, he chose the wrong door and he led them with precision right into the broom closet <laughs> with everybody watching. Okay. Be careful who you follow is the moral of the story. But listen, the responsibility of leading the church, it's, it's not all their responsibility. Okay, Scripture tells us that as followers, not just of Jesus, but of these leaders, that there is a responsibility for us in terms of how we relate to our elders as our leaders. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we look for leaders where we can, who could say to us, follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1. Okay? And how we do this matters. It not just matters in the kingdom, it matters to them. If you look a little further in that chapter, chapter 13, verse 7, 17, I'm sorry, of Hebrews, it says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who will give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Can we understand and agree this morning, like being an elder is a challenge. I have watched these men celebrate kingdom victories and change lives in our lives as followers. I have also watched them be crushed under the weight of people's sin. And their brokenness. Okay? I, I'm, I've seen them thrilled as people experience success in, in accomplishing uh, kingdom projects. But I have watched them um, agonize over having to challenge and discipline people's personal choices. Okay? Elders are called to lead. They're to be men of action. They have the opportunity and the responsibility of leading the church forward into this adventure of faith and growth and making disciples who make disciples. It's because of the weight of this responsibility that we spent some time in this back in May when we looked at Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9, or you could look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and look at the qualifications that God has for these men. We've already looked at those, and so you're welcome, I want you to go back and review those, but for time's sake, I want us to understand, God has given a God-sized challenge to these men to lead our church, but first he insists that they have a God-sized heart and a God-sized vision. Okay. Now, let me speak uh, for just a moment that something uh, about something that's not necessarily popular, though popular is not what we're going for as a church, right? In our church, all of our elders are men. Okay? Now, there are three reasons for this. First of all, all of the examples in the New Testament that we have of elders are examples of men. Okay? When you read through the passage in Titus chapter 1, And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will note that the characteristics listed are listed as referring to men, okay? Now, we also believe that just in God's economy, right, that God has called men to lead, lead in our families, lead in this particular role in the church. And that's not mutually exclusive with women leading ministries and serving in the church, it's just the example and the pattern we see in the New Testament. One of our last elders meetings, I remember sitting through that and the, and the quote was made, this church could not function without the women in our church serving in the ways they do here. Okay? Now that's true. Some people would see um, us having men elders as limiting women. Okay? That is certainly not our heart. Okay? We simply purpose to be true to the scriptures while at the same time empowering everyone here at Troy Christian Church to serve in a way that God has gifted them and God has equipped them and God has called them. Okay? Now beyond our elders, we also have staff leaders. So let me put it in context. Staff lead in harmony with and under the direction of the elders. Okay? Our staff really provide the day-to-day practical leadership and decision-making that's necessary To carry the vision forth that the elders have set. Each member of our staff has different areas of, of giftedness, of passion, of responsibility. And since we as a church believe, from Scripture, that every member is a minister, a minister simply means a servant, that all of us are called to serve, we charge our staff with the responsibility of equipping people in our church to serve. Not just a concept that we pulled out of uh, space, it's a concept that we pulled out of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, we read these words. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so summary statement, right? Our our elders provide our directional leadership. Our staff provide our equipping leadership. And our ministry team leaders provide practical leadership to different areas of ministry. So you will note periodically we talk about people who lead ministries or contact someone if you want to get involved in a ministry. You notice on our website those are listed. Ministry team leaders, they implement ideas, they coordinate volunteers, they grow people. They're responsible for the planning and development, recruitment, the growth of their particular aspect or area of ministry. And then listen, I mean at the top or the bottom, depending on how you look at it, Okay? Each one of us, we know, is just called to serve. Okay? And I'd love to just squirrel off and preach about this for a while. It's a passion of mine, but I can't because I have other things I have to cover. But let me tell you, we're putting back into place after the first of the year one of our discipleship classes that Drew is going to teach on the specific area of serving, and it would benefit every one of us to participate in that class and to consider again At this place and time, at this point in my life, how has God called me to be fruitful in my life for his kingdom? Okay, so more on that later. Now, I want to shift gears and let's talk about communion okay? Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. We get some questions about that. So let me break out some things we find in Scripture about it that you may or may not have a question about, okay? If you don't have a question about it, it'd be a good review and learning for you of what we see in the Scripture. It's interesting that very soon here, like we're going to spend nearly a month out of our church calendar celebrating the birth of Christ, when God became man, our Emmanuel, okay? And I love the, the biblical celebration Of Christmas okay yet we all recognize I hope Jesus never told us to remember his birth but he did tell us to remember his death and his resurrection and he gave us two visible symbols as Christians as reminders of his death one is baptism and the other is the Lord's Supper okay next week we're going to cover baptism the rest of our time today I want to talk about the Lord's Supper just as an object lesson Okay, that represents for us a great spiritual truth. So just some basics. First of all, uh, what is the Lord's Supper? Okay, Paul explains this for us in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul received a revelation, he said, from God, special revelation, and he wrote about it in that chapter. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was, rep- was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, four things, just very simple, that we learn about communion. First of all, communion is a simple act it's not an elaborate ceremony jesus simply took bread and wine items that would have been present under any ordinary circumstances and he gave them a lesson and he gave us a lesson second we we know that communion is a reminder okay jesus told them to eat and then to drink and he said, when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember my love. Remember my sacrifice. Remember my gift. Remember what makes our salvation possible. Then he says that communion is, is symbolic. Okay? The bread separ- symbolizing the body of Christ. The cup symbolizing the blood of Christ. And finally... He says, by our participation in this ceremony, communion is a statement. Paul wrote, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. Each time we participate, we are making a statement, a statement about Jesus' gift and his act and a statement about our faith. Now, certainly there have been debates over time about the type of bread okay, about whether to use wine or juice. There have been arguments in churches about whether or not the the bread and the drink somehow become literally the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, okay? I would just tell you this. We choose to not lose the meaning of the ceremony in all of the chaos. Instead, we want to focus on what Jesus told us to do, remembering his sacrifice, the sacrifice of His death for our sins. Okay? Now sometimes we que- have questions about who should take the Lord's Supper. Okay? In some churches, you're only allowed to take communion if you're a member of that church. Okay? We don't subscribe to that thinking. We would see this communion time as what it is. It's the Lord's Supper, that He is inviting those who believe to observe His death for their salvation. Okay? It's not our church's communion. Okay? We're simply offering it on behalf of Jesus. I hope that makes sense to you. When my son, was, Kyle, was five, we moved to Troy. Okay? He's 25 now, so 20 years later. But when he was four... We lived in a town called Eldorado Springs, Missouri, and for our Christmas Eve service, we would have a family communion time. Some of you are familiar with that, where, where we as a family, in our case, the five of us, came to the front of the church, around the communion table, took communion together, and sat down, or at least that's how it was supposed to be. Okay. At that point, three of our children had not yet accepted Christ, but Christopher had, and so... You know, Christopher and his parents were taking communion, which did not sit very well with four-year-old Kyle. Okay? So in the middle of the communion service, loud enough so everyone could hear, Kyle yells out, well Jesus died for me too. <laughs> How do you argue with that? He understood. He understood. Okay? We have always understood as a Church, that communion is offered for those who are already believers. Okay, Now you go back to Mark chapter 14, and we become eyewitnesses or or onlookers at that first communion. This is what we read beginning in verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now those who were present, the disciples, were already followers of Jesus. And of course they took, for the first time here in Mark chapter 14, they were taking um, in anticipation of what was to come. Okay, While when we do it, we take it in remembrance of what has already taken place. And part of our reason for believing it's to be received by believers comes from what we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, where it says, For anyone who drinks, who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So we understand this to be a caution for those who believe in Jesus and would lead us to believe that there's no reason for those who don't believe in Jesus to participate in this meal because their faith is not yet been given to the body and the blood of Christ for their salvation, okay? Now, um, there's a piece in there that's worth thinking about, and that is, how do I prepare myself for the Lord's Supper, okay? Still in 1 Corinthians 11, back a couple verses, we read these words, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A person ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. Okay? Now, I don't think this uh, challenge ought to lead us to some kind of a, um, a legalistic or a mechanical uh, process for communion. I think there are a number of ways that the New Testament gives us that we could um, appropriately observe the Lord's Supper or things that we could do as we are participating uh, such as self-examination, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. But other things like remembering the death of Jesus, okay? often a part of my celebration, certainly. Self-examination, remembering the death of Jesus. How about asking for forgiveness, right? Keeping our accounts straight, thinking through the ways that, that we have fallen short that, that get offered against Jesus' sacrifice, Recommitting our life to making holy choices. Okay? Restoring relationships with others when there has been um, celebration. or when I'm sorry, when there's been separation. Okay? Now each of these um, are made possible because of the death of Jesus. Some of these are modeled for us in the New Testament. I like to remember what Warren Wiersbe wrote, especially on... Uh, at times when I'm really struggling, right? Wiersbe wrote this. He said, Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Okay? He said that we were to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Okay? It's the Lord's Supper that makes us worthy, right? It's it's Jesus' death on the cross that makes us worthy, okay? Now, a main question we often receive, just because it's different than so many churches, is this final one. When, when and how often do we observe the Lord's Supper? Okay? Now, there's not a specific teaching in the Bible on the frequency, but there is an example, and there is a precedent. So, remember, we've said as a church we want to, we're part of this restoration movement with the idea that we're going to restore as best we can the church back to the practices that we see in the new testament so in acts chapter 20 verse 7 it says this on the first day of the week we came together to break bread paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day he kept on talking until midnight okay you're hoping we don't restore all the practices right (laughs) i understand they changed the clock back and i'm like you don't think that's going to have any effect like on how long i preach do you they, they said they didn't on that. <laughs> so the purpose of the Christians coming together regularly was to participate in the Lord's Supper. That week they had a special blessing because Paul was going to come and preach to them. Okay? I think the practice, based on that and other scriptures, that the practice of the early church was to participate in the Lord's Supper each week that they came together for worship. So that's why we offer it Each week. Now, the truth is, the Bible doesn't limit its observance to Sunday. I think we could easily understand from the New Testament that they observe the Lord's Supper at other times than their Sunday service. We know that what we read in Mark chapter 14 actually took place on a Thursday, that first Lord's Supper. The key is, whenever it is observed, that we do it in remembrance of Jesus. That is the weight of what we find in the Scriptures. Okay? I'm going to ask those who are serving communion this morning to go ahead and make their way to the back, if you would. Prepare to serve. Uh, for all of us, just realize they're going to serve communion this morning, and then without any interruption afterwards, they are going to take up our offering. Okay? So if you filled out one of the cards for prayer requests, you can drop that in there if you're new and you filled out... Uh, some information about when you get information of the church, and then you can put that in there as well. Now, um, I think most of us can appreciate the teaching from the scriptures about the what, and about the who, and about the when. Okay, yet all of those have no meaning without the what. Okay, what the Lord's Supper really is. Okay, a time of remembering. So we take a piece of bread and we're told to remember the body of Christ broken for us. We take just a little cup of juice and we're told to remember the blood of Christ literally shed for us. And we participate in this great exchange the life of Jesus for my life, okay? the holiness of Jesus for my sin, the obedience of Jesus. For my disobedience and to participate um, Paul says is a proclamation when I participate in that I proclaim the value of Jesus' death and I proclaim the gift that he has given to me that I've received and I proclaim my faith in the salvation of Jesus when I was driving to, to church this morning Listen to the radio. The words came on to this song that were just such a reminder to me of what we understand communion to be about. The words said, there's nothing too dirty that he can't make worthy. I am clean. Let's pray together. Father, we accept the gift of your son Jesus. His death on the cross for our salvation, a payment that not only would we not be able to make, we we just couldn't, but he could. A perfect life offered as a payment for our sins. We're so grateful for the gift. We take these elements remembering there was one body broken. There was blood shed on that day on Calvary. On our behalf, that we still need today. Thank you for your grace. We accept it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we have journeyed uh, these last few months together, right, so much of our understanding of what the church is to be uh, flows so naturally from understanding what, what we are to be, right? representatives of Jesus to the world. Um, but we didn't all start there, did we? <laughs> There have been times uh, that we've often been pretty messy representatives of Jesus to the world, sometimes just flat-out bad representatives. And there are some good people that are not in the um, chairs and pews of churches today. Um, But being good isn't what it's all about, right? There are people that may be better morally than you and than I am. It's not what it's about. It's understanding what we talked about four or five weeks ago. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. Separation from God eternally. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when we take communion, we celebrate that gift. But there's no reason to think that God does not bring us people who don't yet possess the gift, (laughs) who've not yet surrendered their life to Jesus, who've not yet given Him control, who've not yet said and acknowledged, I'm not good enough on my own. I need jesus i need his death as a payment for my sins i understand that's the only way that any of us are going to make it so i'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and if that's you if you still have not uh, given your life to christ Next week we're going to talk about baptism and how that's the appropriate follow-up to that decision. And that's what we see all through the the books of Acts and Scripture that people accepted Christ and they were baptized into Him. But you don't have to wait till next week. Some of you might choose that next week. Some of you might choose that today. So if today is the day you understand that, today is a great day to move forward in that. And I'd love if you would talk with either myself or one of the couple elders that are in the back about that decision, um, while we're singing, while we're worshiping afterwards. So let me pray, and then we'll stand and we'll, we'll sing. Father God, what a, uh, what a gift you give us through the cross. What an opportunity you give us for eternal life. The very thing that we need is the very thing that you offer and that we can't get any other way. Sometimes it seems as though people have lived a long life on this earth yet. Lord, we know that uh, even long years on this earth are nothing compared to eternity. So prepare us for eternity. Help us who know you, who love you, who have accepted this gift to be good representatives of yours on this earth. And Lord, may there be um, choices made today if someone does not yet know you, we pray in Jesus' name.